1: That's right, Whistler. Welcome to Episode 78 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman, and with me like the four sense of a Jedi on the run from the Empire, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler.
2: Hey, everybody. Good to be back, as always.
1: Yeah, a couple days uh, from this release date and you're going to be hitched, huh? Isn't that right, good man?
2: That is right. We're recording this on the Sunday before the Saturday. That's the... Uh... Uh, the wedding day, so next episode should be able to fill you guys in on all the uh, the wedding day events, the Star Wars ties therein, <laughs> uh, and any craziness that happens. Hopefully, no craziness, but uh, but her mom is planning on attending, and uh, that's why we've made sure that a couple of her friends from the SWAT team will be there in case she starts to <laughs> crap. Uh, it's a it's a lovely, lovely uh, experience having a, a a crazy identity thief in the family now.
1: Well, uh, as uh, Karen Travis said, family is more than just bloodlines, you know. Hey, but uh, let me be one of the first to say, you know, congratulations to the butlers. You know, that's that's awesome.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Kind of cool. Butler's plural, and it's not referring to my parents. <laughs> it's about time.
1: I saw a commercial the other day, and it had a butler in the box, and a monkey comes out, and he's all what? dressed up as a butler, and I'm just like, this would be the perfect commercial for Star Wars Beyond the Films with Nathan coming out of the box. Butler in a box. <laughs>
2: Scary. Speaking of scary though, Mark, and this is something that I thought was kind of funny whenever we first decided we were going to talk about this because we've been leading up to Vector and and the ability to talk about that someday down the line. We've looked at several first story arcs. So Mark, what are we talking about this episode?
1: Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars, and so do we. This episode, we ponder Nathan's favorite of all series. That's very sarcastic. Dark Times, Volume 1, The Path to Nowhere. Before we get to the spoilerific section here, we're going to give you a quick rundown of our thoughts before we jump in, okay? Now, Nathan, go ahead and fire off real fast.
2: You know, it's funny because at this point, um, I think once we get through with the current arc and what's been announced for the next arc, A Spark Remains, we'll be at about 32 issues, I think it is, of Dark Times. And for the most part, uh, going backwards uh, from Fire Carrier, which is where we are now, I can say there was Fire Carrier before that was Out of the Wilderness, before that was Blue Harvest, before that was Vector, before that was Parallels. I haven't given a crap about any of those, those storylines or the characters in them. I don't care about Kukrook and his random group of mostly interchangeable, mostly whiny Padawans that he's with.
0: Um, And
2: I care very little for the crew of the unpronounceable ship, at least these days. Um, And Das Janir has lost any interest for me that he may have held at one point. And we really hadn't seen him much prior to this. He got uh, one quick segment of Republic parallel to Revenge of the Sith during Order 66 where he was just kind of introduced out of nowhere, I guess, to set up this series. But I gotta say that as bad as Dark Times got once we got to the second arc, and as much as we didn't care about Das Janir or Bomo Greenbark in the pages of Republic, this is an excellent, excellent arc. Path to Nowhere set up Dark Times to be this amazing, awesome, deep, dark series. Um, It gives us Vader and shows insights into his character in the wake of Revenge of the Sith with some great flashback moments, him dealing with major issues that you would expect Anakin on becoming Vader to be dealing with. It gives us the crew of the unpronounceable ship, at this point, all likable characters, albeit one griping way too often about not wanting to be called, what, snuffy, sniffly, whatever. Yeah, snuffles. Sniffles. Um, But just over time... The soul was sucked out of these characters. To make the parallel, if this series right now is Return of the Jedi with the Ewoks, okay, then everything after The Path to Nowhere becomes Season 2 of the Ewoks cartoon, where it's not only god-awful like the Ewoks cartoon, but it's the god-awful Season 2 of the cartoon in parallel. (laughs) Um, This was a series that started out with great art, high hopes for where it could go, and a real butt-kicker of a first arc. It's after this that everything goes down the tubes and it goes down the tubes so fast. There's not a slope to this. It's not they start high and they fall from grace. It's like they teleport to the bottom of the hill.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny because I hadn't read this one in a while. Uh, This was also back when I just started getting into comics. So I have volume one in the trade. I do not have the singles, but. I was surprised how much I enjoyed this first arc and and, and you're right on the potential. The potential is huge for this series, but as we will discuss in later arcs, they don't quite deliver as well as they could have. My biggest complaint with volume one though, is the names, the names. I don't know. Killing like many characters long. There's so many characters, these names, it's like you just, Short, simple names, folks. Please, I come on now. You look at these names here. We've got uh, uh, Sharuk Hearn, Cries uh, or Chris Tanzer, uh, Lin, Lin. Oh man, this is uh, this is sniffles. Uh, Linealiscar Karar Snifflemanata. Then you've got Mesgraph. You've got Kovaker. You've got Meeker Meekerdin Ma, which I believe is Ratty. And then you've got Jank. And then, of course, Bomo Greenbark and Jazz Denair. But it's just like, my goodness! And then you've got the Uhumel, Uh U H U M E L E. I always, I
2: always thought it was supposed to be Uhumele or something like that, but I just call it the unpronounceable shit.
1: Well, that, and that gets to like, you know, what we were talking about with the Republic. It's like, can't they just throw in a quick like this character's pronunciation down there? I mean, granted, I'm still gonna butcher it, but at least I have a feeling like I'm in the general direction.
2: Or do like a do like with Dawn of Jedi prisoner of Bogan and give us like Jake.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. There are some really cool, neat ties in here that we'll get to when we really start spoiling things, but things like the cargo uh, and, and Jazz being a Jedi and characters like you're, Sh- you're saying
2: Jazz, not Das. It's das Janeer.
1: Yeah, I, I will. I will screw that up quite a bit. I, I end up. I, I don't know why for like, I think the first year I kept screwing up the D and the, and the J. I was thinking he was Jazz Denner for so long. Shows how much we cared exactly and, and you know for me like you know I, i'm a huge Kukruk fan so i i'm enjoying the Kukruk arc but i don't know now that that's done that's a, a whole story in and of itself but this point we have no idea what's going on with him and where we jump in it's cool it kind of gives you the feeling that there's more going on in the republic but as we'll mention in the spoilerific part there's not so much or as nathan kind of pointed out already uh, i i think this is a good start and it does set up some nice things, but the delivery that we'll see in later arcs just doesn't quite come up to snuff, if you catch my feeling there. Now, uh, with all that said, consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go.
2: And let's start with just the credits of the first issue. I'm assuming that they meant to basically transition us between Republic into the Unknown, which is where we met Das Genere and Bomo uh, Greenbark and transition us from that into this new series because the republic arc had been written by wells hartley but as you look at the credits for just this arc i believe it's just this arc of dark times it says story wells hartley script mick harrison they're the same guy (laughs) it's randy stradley again it's it's why i think dark times as bad as it has gotten hasn't been canceled yet because it's being written by the guy who's in charge of the Star Wars line for Dark Horse and he's not going to axe his own book.
1: But Oh, well, and he also created Kakarok, which was something that I was not aware of. I was like, "Oh, oh another baby boy."
2: But it's just it's it's one of these kind of odd things, you know, looking back on it now to see story by Wells Hartley, script by Mick Harrison, it's like, yeah, that's just that's taken it too far. Um, the art in this case though is Doug Wheatley. He does cover art, he does the interior art amazing amazing job at the art i believe isn't he doing the new essential guide to characters or not new essential guide to characters we already got that but the next generation of essential guide to characters isn't he doing art for that
1: yeah doug wheatley yeah i think so i believe he is and i yeah i love his art as well just and i love the ships and characters i I love it when a character character when a artist can nail both characters and ships because for me i'm i'm either loving one or the other
2: Yeah, he does a really, really good job of both. It kind of makes me wonder if that is probably why this series comes out further spaced apart and with, with longer gaps in it than other series do, because his art does have a lot of detail in it compared to uh, to other artistic styles. But the first issue, we are introduced to, of course, the situation uh, that sets up the rest of it, um, which is, in Vader's case, that he is on Coruscant and... Basically, at this point, Palpatine has just become the Emperor, though he looks a lot more like his Return of the Jedi cool-looking self than the weird, wrinkled version from Revenge of the Sith. Um, We meet, say, Pestage in there briefly, and they're talking about just what's next in terms of the Empire's plans. And Vader, in his case, uh, he's basically being not really berated by the Emperor, but the Emperor's trying to make sure that he knows his place. And it starts out with him reminding him about Kessel, and I thought that was kind of cool because he said, "You know, yeah. are the lessons of Kessel so soon forgotten, Apprentice? Giving into your emotions literally led to your destruction." Now that's referring back to the events of Purge, so there is a connection yeah, the there. One. Yeah, they're they're caring to connect these together. Um, he he does tend, and I like the fact that that uh, Stradley does this. He has Palpatine when talking to Vader refer to Anakin Skywalker in third person. Um, not second person. He refers to Anakin Skywalker as someone else. Essentially that, yes, Vader has supplanted this previous version of himself. You know, the good man who was your father was destroyed. That there is no Anakin per se at this point, which I think is good. It helps drive home the transformation that's happening in Vader. Um, We get some great moments of things like Vader flashing back to the conversation that ended, of course, in Attack of the Clones with the, I hate them, stuff, with the Sanfee words unburdening himself to Padme, going to be the most powerful Jedi ever, and all that stuff. Um, so we get a little bit of him, not much in the first issue, but just enough that we see where they're going to be going with this series, in, or at least that they seem to be in this arc, which is kind of delving into the psychology behind Vader, which I've always found very fascinating. And then we jump straight into the middle of the, the battle on New Plympto, which is where we left off and in into the unknown. Das Genere, uh, the crazy long-haired, white-haired Jedi, has joined with Bomo Greenmark, uh, how do I say Mark, Greenbark, uh, and the Separatists, uh, the Nisorian Separatists, um, against the empire at this point, because during Order 66, the troops turned on him, uh, the Republic becomes the empire, and now they're all kind of fighting on the same side. And we see Bomo going through the, the process of trying to basically get his kids, or his daughter and his wife, Risa and Misa, away from the planet, uh, and that basically they know that they're doomed, uh, the, the soldiers do, but it's a matter not of saving their own lives, but buying time for the other civilians to manage to escape. And we get some great action sequences within there. Uh, good moments, basically, of uh, of Bomo and Das relating to one another, which turns out well. And by the end, they've managed to try to sneak aboard uh, one of these ships that's landed nearby, that was supposed to be one of the ones, presumably, taking some of the refugees away. And instead, they wind up aboard the Uhumele, the unpronounceable ship, or the near-unpronounceable ship, where they meet the crew, they meet Shirk Heron, uh, who's one of the few that actually has much of a conversation element to this issue, and they learn that all of the refugees, the women and the children that they thought were going to be getting to safety, and that everybody but Bomo and Das gave their lives to protect, sort of, because when the Nasorians uh, surrendered, the uh, so- stormtroopers, stormtroopers, the, the clone troopers just cut them all down, shot them all down and killed them, and um, That the ones that survived, despite the heavy costs, they have all been taken by the Empire and are about to be sold into slavery. It's not an issue that gives us a lot of big shocks and surprises, per se, but the first issue sets up the conflict of this nicely, both for Das and the crew of the Unpermastical ship and for Vader. I was really impressed by that first issue.
1: Yeah, now see, Nathan's got the issues, so he's going to kind of give you a quick rundown because I don't know necessarily where the issues start and stop in the trade. Sometimes it's obvious, sometimes it's not. But in this first issue, the, the art is just glorious. I mean, when we're in Palpatine's chamber, okay, you got the backgrounds of Coruscant with all the ships behind him and stuff. There's a scene where, you know, Nathan had mentioned uh, Padme and Anakin, the flashback to episode two. There's another scene where you're looking at the— at, emperor palpatine's throne and vader from outside the window and it looks so cool the detail and then there's another view out where it zooms even farther out and you can see the senate and the old senate building down behind it like these little tiny little like i mean that's almost a retcon right there the fact that they show you both the senates because there was this issue of wait which one's the senate because this one book said over here and this book says it's over there and they give you this like well they moved it over a little bit and made a bigger senate building it's like oh okay and they you can see both of those But, you know, you'd mentioned Palpatine and that was one of the things that I, you know, noticed too. Palpatine has that damaged specter we see in the films, but. For me, I noticed his hands, you know, which led me again to ponder the whole Palpatine's mask uh, that Stover refers to in *Revenge of the Sith*. You know, I truly, truly, am more and more, starting to feel like that he had to have some kind of Force illusion or something like that. Like, you know, he's always been this twisted. Because why would your fingernails grow that long? And like, like I, don't, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. Why well, your fingernails would grow because you're getting Force lightning? <laughs> we
2: need to. We have to talk to somebody who's big on the. Biology. Maybe I'll ask Jody about it. She's just doing the whole medical degrees and all that kind of stuff. But the, uh, but I wonder if if lightning can cause or, or electricity can cause your fingernails to grow. Don't they keep growing after you die, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, hair and your fingernails, nose? fingernails
1: still grow. Yeah creepy right <laughs> now another thing i love about this so is this is vader like we see him in dark lord you know new to the suit uh you know he's kind of chafing under palpatine and i love later in, in one of the later issues it talks about how he wants to be on the move all the time and perhaps that's why Va- uh, palpatine's constantly slowing him down because he knows that vader feels more like himself when he's in action and i love those little things but when bomo is talking to his daughter and he's telling her you know he's like you need to go he goes, youngling You go to the spaceport. I'll join you as soon as I'm done with my work, but you'll never be far from my heart. See, as long as I have this, we'll be together. And he's got a little hollow of her that he keeps on a chain that he keeps kind of around his neck and a family. And then they start leaving and she's like, Papa, the carrier's moving. Misa, take any ship you can get. Make for Solstice. I'll find you. I'll find you. How grave a sin is it? Wonders Bomo Greenbark that your last words to your wife and daughter are a lie. And basically, and that's where you were saying, you know, they're they're gonna do the last man's stand. They're gonna all stand together and fight to the death. And I I like that aspect of of Jenner because he's thrown himself into this. And you know, from from the Republic line, he just got done telling his master he's gonna stick to being a Jedi, and yet now he's fighting on the Separatist side. Uh, he discovers, you know, hey, we can take out some of these tanks by lightsaber in this tree that works, but Commander Ville realizes what's going on. He's like, target the next tree in line. So as Bomo and Daz are about to cut the tree down, they cannon blast the tree, which causes it to uproot itself at the same time, creating this huge pit that the two fall into, thus saving them from the massacre that the 501st deliver to all those on New New Plimpto. I'm probably going to say that wrong, but I like the aspect of, you know, I don't remember anything in the EU after this era where we hear about the Norsons. And so it's like, okay, well, this is when they all got wiped out. And those that are alive were all sold to slavery except for Bomo. So there's that aspect of, okay, now you can have new Plimpto as we see it later in like the new Jedi order and stuff like that. And there's no issue of these guys not being mentioned because we just now witnessed their mass slaughter. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Another thing, though, in that first opening scene that I want to ask you, Nathan, is it just me or does Vader seem irritated with Palpatine for the fact that Palpatine's ordering the 501st around? I mean, granted, it is Sidious's right as the Emperor, but leaving Vader in the dark with his own 501st, Vader's fist, that seems like a little... A, a point of contention, and it seems like they do that quite a bit. Where there's this unspoken contention between the two of them. I mean, later I think it's like an issue four or five. There's that moment where where Vader reflects on that. He thinks Palpatine's doing it on purpose. But I got that sense that that it really ticked him off. That there were these orders going on that he was not privy to.
2: I think it's more just he. It's not the way he expected it. You know, it's the whole grass is always greener thing. You know, I figured that by joining him, I could save Padme. Everything would work out fine. Uh, I'll eventually overthrow the Emperor. It'll be uh, my new empire, and we can make things the way we want them to be, as he says in Revenge of the Sith. But instead, <laughs> he's the underling of Palpatine slash Sidious, and they even say there, it says, Vader wonders if the assignment, just the one that he's going on that's going to happen on Mercana soon, which is a tie-in to the Dark Lord novel, um says, uh, he, Vader wonders if the assignment will reveal anything of his master's plans for the future, his plans for what to do with the power of their new empire, or whether it will be just another venture of acquisition and consolidation. Vader waits in silence, but his master is not forthcoming. This idea that he sort of feels like, you know, it's time to do something, but all it seems like you're doing is gathering up the power. It seems like there's more mopping up, perhaps, more cleanup than... He expected, like he expected this to be this. uh, I don't know. He he sort of idealized, I guess, what he thought was going to happen once they got to this point. I mean, the the major separatist leaders are dead. He slaughtered them all, and yet it's not what he wanted. It's not turning out immediately the way he likes. Which goes back to this idea of Anakin being kind of immature in a lot of ways. I guess you know the the "Uh, it's not the way I want it now. So maybe I didn't want it in the first place. Kind of attitude.
1: Yeah, and it's nice to know that this actually ties into Dark Lord because, like I said, you get that feeling from Vader. And so, knowing that that's where it's going, that is a nice tie in as well. Uh, I love, though, you know, and I mentioned it a little about Commander Ville. Uh, you know, one of the soldiers goes in, the fighting's almost over. And it goes, and that is exactly what is troubling, Commander Ville. When the fighting ends, what then for men bred only to be soldiers? What future is there for men of action when peace breaks out? And so there's that aspect of the clones too. have a little story to be told here, which, you know, as we will mention in later volumes, almost all of the Vader and the Imperial side of these stories gets completely cut out of the story later. And and Mm -hmm. right now it's working so well.
2: Yeah, at this point, it's what takes this from being a really good initial story with Das Janier, though it all goes downhill, Um, to being an excellent story arc because you've got the Vader elements. There's not a lot of it, but there's enough of it, which I guess can bring us into issue number two, which picks up again with Vader. Uh, the idea that he's, he's getting used to hearing his own breathing at this point, that sleep doesn't come easy because he's always hearing the (gasps) stuff constantly for himself. Um, you can also sort of see his, not really immaturity, but his, his, that he hasn't fully come into Vader's, um, I guess, into Vader's role yet uh, as, as just the supreme enforcer in that when he does try to make contact with Commander Ville on New Plympto, who is the leader of the 501st there, it would be interesting if that somehow got retconned to be Rex's new nickname or something. Um, but <laughs> but uh, he says, you know, open a link to Commander Ville, but before he does, when he hits the button to talk to the Imperial officer who's supposed to set up the link, the officer says, it's late, Lord Vader, is there something wrong? If this was later, Vader would be... <laughs> Apology accepted. Next! And would have just killed the guy. Uh, instead yeah. here it's... Yeah, I know, but put me through, will you? Um, we get a great moment of him talking to Commander Ville. Uh, Vader showing up by a hologram. Very dynamic artwork, again, by Doug Wheatley throughout this series. Um, especially with Vader as a hologram is really well done. Um, we get a chance to hear Commander Ville express those concerns that Rex and others will eventually express. I mean, it's in the past chronologically, but eventually express in um, the Clone Wars cartoon series as members of the 501st of, you know, what happens to us next. You now, is there a plan for our future? We live to serve, but a soldier needs to feel useful and so on, and Vader doesn't know quite how to answer. But as soon as they mention the fact that the survivors from New Plympto are being sent to the slave market on Orvax 4, um, that is what really kind of hits Vader in the gut, and I'm glad that it does. You know, he's oh, yeah. he has his, his brief flashback of Anakin. Uh, and thank goodness, when they actually do the flashbacks to the movie, they get the dialogue right. That was something the Marvel series never seemed to be able to do. Um, but here, Anakin slash Vader, you know, he's he knows he's not going to sleep that night at all, having just heard about slaves. And that's... A great character moment for him, but like I said, Vader's character moments pretty much get dumped. All he becomes is the brooding, I'm going to go get the Jedi, I'm going to go get the Jedi, I'm going to manipulate this bounty hunter slash assassin, whatever, because I want to go get the Jedi. And that's all he becomes in this series. This art makes him so much deeper and so much more interesting as a character.
1: Well, and it gets to that Lord Vader book. I mean, that that did such a good job of taking, you know, the moment where you're talking about the, the tick hiss. And then the next part says his cybernetic limbs strain against his ruined flesh as if they resent inactivity even more than action. And that was something valent in that book was how he was kind of leaned forward. He was taller than he used to be. Everything about what he was doing was different. And so by the end of that book, you saw him kind of come into his own. And by the end of that book, you're like, okay, now we're starting to see the Vader that I recall remembering, you know? I mean, this Vader is definitely kind of not in his place, as you put it. Um, But yeah, when he gets called out on, you know, we want, what about our men? Is there a future? You know, a soldier needs to feel useful. And I love how he's like, I, and dot, dot, dot. I'm certain the Emperor has a plan, Commander. Uh, But you mentioning that Vil could be Rex, uh, one of my later notes, because in like issue four or five, uh, it it pretty much points out uh, that Apo reports to Vill, Even though they're both commanders, Apo was taking orders from Vill, And so I, I was like, oh, so Vill is ahead of Apo. And so there is that option that they could easily make that where Rex becomes that. I mean, maybe after uh, Order 66, Rex decides he's a villain and goes by Ville from there on. I don't know.
2: That would be cool. Or have him leave and Vill be the next one in the spot or something. Um, the rest of issue two is basically spent getting our heroes off of New Plimpto, uh, finding out where, uh, the, the, the slavers themselves are so they can then get out of there and, and go after the slavers to figure out where the child may have been sold and the, the mother may have been sold and that sort of thing. So we start with basically, um, Das attacking some Imperials that, uh, in a, a couple pages of where he's basically just ambushing a convoy. Uh, steals a trooper's armor, uses that to steal a Nimbus starfighter, or a V Wing, as they're more often called, uh, fly over the other ships that are out there, and instead of basically just warning them, hey, you know, we gotta get off the planet or something, to try to convince them to all leave at the same time so that the Uhu melee can actually escape, um, they know that they would just be turned in if they tried to talk to some of the other pilots. So he just takes this V Wing, flies over, and just starts shooting at them. And it allows the the crew of the unpronounceable ship, the Umele, uh, to basically say, hey, we're under attack, the Empire's going to destroy all the ships, everybody take off, take off, take off, and they're able to leave within all of that confusion. Not a lot more with Vader, but it gets us to our next step. They are out, they're away from New Plympto, now with issue three, they can actually start searching for the slavers themselves. And still, Mm -hmm. a very solid uh, issue, and i got to say, One thing, and I would assume that this is probably something that Stradley did as opposed to something that Wheatley did. Wheatley executed it, but having written uh, that story for Tales 21, one of the things you do as a comic writer, at least the way that Dark Horse stuff is set up, uh, the Dark Horse Star Wars stuff is set up, and this is something that Jeremy Barlow had to kind of train me in, is when you write, you've got like page one, and you've got that all set up as one little section of what you're writing, and you have to say like panel one, panel two, panel three. And granted, it's generally going to be up to the artist to figure out how big a panel. You know, can these all fit on the same page? Are they going to bleed into each other? Is one going to be much bigger than the others? All that, those kinds of dynamics are mostly up to the artist. But in this case, you have two pages that are utterly silent. Essentially, Um, the one where we first see the uh, the convoy coming across and Das hiding in the bushes has four sort of widescreen-styled panels, no dialogue whatsoever. The next page has him jump out, then a much bigger panel of him uh, hitting the trooper, like like running into him and knocking him down. Then you've got a side panel of him punching the trooper or snapping his neck, I guess. Um, and then another panel that that's sort of inset with, where he's pulling the trooper into the bushes. There's no sound effect images, uh, like the little word balloon type things. Um, there's no narration. There's no dialogue. It's just straight action in silence. And that's something that, again, you don't see a lot in Star Wars comics, but it conveys Mm -hmm. a lot of, you know, the sense of stealth that's needed to do
1: this. And
2: you don't really need to say anything. The action carries itself.
1: See, and I was under the impression he knocked him out because when he when he shoves the clone trooper, and it's a five o first member, he shoves his helmet forward to raise his neck and chin and expose that, and he comes in and hits him in the throat. But you see stars over his head, so I'm like, okay, that's got to be why. I like this scene because later that that scene where I was talking about Vill and Apo. It, it replies to this because vill is asking apple about it and he was, you know yeah it was a 501st soldier but he stole a nimbus from the 203rd and i was like oh okay that's cool because that was exactly what happens when he comes in and steals the ship it's all characters that kind of look more like they're uh the Uto- uh, utopian type armor you know where they got the uh orangish yellow on their stuff but yeah i mean when when they're earlier when when uh daz and bomo first show up at the port one of the first things that tipped him off was that every single ship was still there and they're like wait what's going on jazz does this whole hey the only way we can do this is to get everyone to leave and chris point you know she points out the fact that nobody's going to go maybe we can get eight of them but one crew will turn us in in a heartbeat and so of course that's the ship that daz or is that jazz fires on first he comes flying in and just takes out that ship he's like okay these he goes uh what does he say? He goes out, uh, which ship is the one sniffles mentioned the valence whose crew is tight with the Imperials. <laughs> and he goes, and they, they respond back. It's the small freighter with green markings near the South edge of the field. Why I'm going to use it as incentive. <laughs> and he comes and just starts blasting it. I just, I love that part. I mean, that, that's such a great moment. And of course, you know, they've got their own slit, uh, little tricks up their sleeves you know they're they're like well we don't want the empire in here and they keep referring to this you know they have their own reason why they don't want the empire to come on and search the ship the cargo modifications to the ship things like that and so you know later Daz is talking to Bomo about it he's like you know what's in it for them and I, I just I love the way that at this point everything has a reason it doesn't feel forced and that's a very nice thing
2: yeah, it just—it seems like this is sort of a natural progression throughout the story. Nothing in this story really feels like, I mean, there are some twists and turns, sure, but nothing feels unnatural. It all feels true to the characterizations of the characters as they've been given to us. But it does feel not just that it's not contradicting them, it's in keeping with it. That's why I think a lot of the stuff I have a problem with later in the series causes me so much, much frustration, because it's as if a lot of the characterization gets dropped and it just becomes a, it's almost like they're going through the motions. It may be in keeping with what the writer thinks the character should be doing, but we haven't been given enough characterization in those later story arcs to really see that. You know, it doesn't feel quite as natural. I think uh, this arc does a great job in the process of trying to set up the characters for new readers. They give us the amount of characterization that we need But we need that arc-to-arc-to-arc, which is not something that it seems like um, keeps up. Uh, That moves us into issue number three, which I actually just, as I was rereading these, realized my center page is falling out of, so I had to hop on eBay and get a replacement. I've done that twice now. I did that once for this, and as I was doing the stuff for the Star Wars Timeline Gold for the Old Republic, which I'm finally done with, oh my god, um, that added like a (laughs) 100 pages to it. Um, But as I was going through that, I realized that I had a, Add something, I forget what it was, I think it was a, a slipped out page or something, it was messed up, or no, it was a tear, um, to the cover of one of my Lost Sons issues that I wound up ah. getting a replacement for. I, need to, I, I thought I was careful with those, apparently, I haven't been. Um, in any event, Issue 3 uh, picks up with Vader on Coruscant, and he's about to be sent to Mercana, which of course, again, ties into Dark Lord. It's been a bit, he's like, we have a new assignment for you next issue or a couple issues later. Oh, here's your assignment. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. um,
1: great, great scene though. This, this is by far away something I had been waiting for and I'd forgotten about it. I mean, I, I kept going like, why is Vader okay with all the slaving? You know, and this is that moment, you know, when, when uh, Palpatine's like, something troubles you apprentice. And he's like, I heard from Commander Vil, Vil
0: on New Pimto. Ah, I should have remembered. Anakin Skywalker was a slave. As was his mother, my apologies, Lord Vader. I should have explained the current situation sooner. The slavery that exists in the lawless reaches of the Outer Rim is wrong. The trading in individual lives and freedoms for personal gain will end, and it will, must end, and it will in time. But what the Empire is doing on New Plympto and elsewhere, is different. Unrepentant separatists like the Narsons must be dealt with, put to work. They will make a positive contribution to the Empire, and their lives will be spared. It is a merciful alternative to what would otherwise be necessary. I'm certain you understand.
2: Yeah, and it's this great moment where it's kind of funny. You got to wonder how much Anakin slash Vader is buying this. But this is the same kind of stuff he's been telling himself all along. I mean, he's the one who's been justifying everything by this whole, well, I'm doing it for a greater good kind of reason. Therefore, the ends justify the means. And yet here's basically Palpatine kind of saying the same thing. Here's this evil out there, but we're going to let it go because of such and such. And you got to wonder how much he's, you know, he's willing to, to, to take that sort of thing as opposed to being the one to be the one, you know, babbling it out to people and making it sound good. Um, this issue, of course, also finds the Uhu melee on its way to Orvax Four, um, The crew is willing to work with them. Um, you've got uh, one member of the crew, for instance, is uh, I, Mez, Mezgraf. Mezgraf I, yeah,
1: is Mezgraf is what I've been calling
2: him. Um, see, that's the thing. All these characters with their crazy names on the crazy ship and the fact that we've lost all characterization of them in the later arcs makes me completely forget their names except for like Jenks what? and Ratty.
1: And, and Mezgraf is a cool character. That that was my complaint in the spoiler-free part. It's like, give these guys cool names. And I, I mean, never would have been a character that a lot of people would like. I mean, what is he, a Cathar or a, Turg- a Turgugan or a Trogon? I can't even say it. <laughs> he's a cat-like guy. Yeah, he's a Tagorian. and he's a Tagorian
2: former slave. Uh, he's got a slave tattoo, as we'll wind up seeing in this arc, that has been sort of scratched over um, to the point where they wind up actually thinking he's an escaped slave at one point, And... You know, that gives him a sense of honor. He wants to do something about this whole slavery issue in general. Um, There are several reasons why the different members of the crew are willing to work with them, but the crew sort of signs on for what amounts to a mission that's sort of for a greater good for Bomo and somewhat for Das, but really there's no personal stake in it for them, at least not in terms of someone that they care about, but certainly in terms of moralistically, their ethics, their way of looking at the galaxy, and of course they don't want to... Put the ship in harm's way with the cargo that they're carrying, which at this point has only been mentioned uh, briefly. But we've got this great sequence where they go looking for the slaves, and uh, there's a there's a conversation that happens between Bomo and Das, and it's in front of everybody else. Where oh, basically Bo- uh, Das says, "Look, you know, there's something you haven't been thinking about, and that is what about the others." What about everybody else, not just your wife, not just your daughter, but everybody else? He says, you haven't considered the other Nosorians who were taken with them. Are you prepared to face your friends and neighbors, knowing you can do nothing for them? Do you have the will to turn your back on them and leave them behind? I'm not saying that we shouldn't try, but you need to be prepared for failure, or that a success may feel like failure. This idea that there's no way they can have this massive slave uprising, slave revolt. They're not going to free everybody. They're trying to free two people, and that's it. And doing that may mean having to turn their backs on others. Uh, And Bomo has to be prepared for that. It's the type of reasoning, the type of psychology, you don't get in many Star Wars stories, but that is certainly fitting of this circumstance. Or I guess I should say you don't usually get in Star Wars comic stories because you don't have a a narration to go along with it. Um, Unless there are little narrative boxes or something, you don't get the kind of depth to the character's thoughts that often we get in, say, prose fiction, where it's novels and short stories and whatnot. But they wind up there uh, on Orvax. They run into the blue species of slaver jerks that we're going to wind up seeing him run into again later on in oh I forget what it was. uh, Blue Harvest, I think it was. Um, Again, don't care, because the series goes downhill and isn't interesting after that point. Uh, But they find out that uh, they're too late. They're only a couple of days behind the Empire, but by the time they get there, Uh, Bomo learns at the end of this issue that not only has his daughter been taken away by slavers, but in trying to protect his daughter, his wife was killed. So, two of the people, there are two people they were after, that the whole goal was to save those two. And before they even got there, one of them is already dead. Any success now is essentially cut in half. And now things become more difficult because it's not a matter of finding one little slave girl on the planet. they got to figure out where she was taken and then mount a rescue. Again, doing what a good uh, Star Wars-style story should do in the way that Star Wars kind of tells its story oftentimes in three acts. Whereas you're heading towards the third act, you put your characters in a worse and worse, more complex situation that they're going to have to find their way out of through persevering in the third act, which is what we're going to wind up seeing.
1: Yeah, and again, getting back to the art here, uh, in that moment where, you know, you said he's he, Daz is talking to uh, to Bomo, the look on Bomo's face, uh, you know, when, when when he first starts telling him, have you considered the others, the look of his eyes, the shock, and then he goes, "When well, I'm not saying that we shouldn't try, the look of sorrow, the shame that you can just see all over Bomo's face. And then there's another part where Daz turns to the captain and goes, we should not presume upon Captain Hernan and his crew to risk their lives for our quest. If you look in the background, there's all these really cool knickknacks, doodads. There's a Mandalorian helmet in the background. I love the the interior of the ship. I hate the ship, but I love the interior of it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The, the, the captain of the ship, he, I don't even know the name of the species. He's a camel-looking dude. His speech kind of rubs me raw at times, but I'm able to look over it. But when they get to the Ordo 4, I like how, you know, they They have the Java costumes on bomo and Ratty and they're like they're dressed up they look like mini Jedi, but they got these like little light things that that extend past their eyes with little light bulbs on the end and it's funny because it's like the, the scene that we see, it's obviously lighting up their face. and I'm like, how is that supposed to be? So, I mean, how are they not going to light up their face? Like, there's no black there. They should have, like, black hoods over that with the little things sticking through that or something. I don't know. It seems like those lights would just light up their faces to me. But next thing you know, they get involved in a scuffle because of a uh, speeder bike that comes zipping through. And it ends up knocking this big beast over and it gets uh, loose from its handler. And, of course, you know, the slave, uh, Mesgraf, he jumps up on top and cuts the binding, and he's using that as a yoke to to kind of control the animal, and while he's doing that, he throws his jacket over its eyes. No biggie. You know, he's like, it's all right, girl. Nothing to fear. Calm yourself. He climbs down. The handler's coming back. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And he notices that Mezgraf's shirt's off, and he sees the arm where Mezgraf is cut off, or scratched up the arm, and he goes, there's no telling what that might have happened. Escaping! (gasps) Go on, escape! escaping! I mean, he starts... freaking out and this is not a planet you want that to happen of course and so the guards show up and jenner I mean he is sweating here Jenner is sweating so bad as he's trying to do a force mind trick on these guys and of course you know Mesgrav is like what's Jenner doing and they're like I don't know but if you look Ratty has a question mark and then it shows one of the slavers kind of just they look at each other and then the next scene the other guy's like what just happened uh uh co- Kovark or whatever his name was. He's like, what? And the two guys just walk and they punch the guy that hit the, the beast handler in the face. And of course, Daz almost passes out. And, you know, that's how much it took him to use the force in that moment, of course. And then Ratty actually finds, you know, all the the rest of the Nosarians, which of course, then you've got Bomo going completely ape. He's down there freaking out. I, I found that that moment was probably one of the deeper moments Uh, you know, because Bomo's freaking out that gets the guards to show up. So now they all got to fight him. And of course, you know, we get to watch Mezgraf in this really awesome pose. He's like all ready to attack. And he's got like this, uh, sigh, like Raphael and they start killing everybody. Uh, Daz, he breaks one of the the guards necks, and one of them's leaving and Mezgraf's like, we can't let him get away. And Bomo throws the knife and stabs the guy in the back. I'm just like, yes. And of course, you know, they go back over there and that's when they find out that they all die and Daz tells them to send off Bomo. And, and this is like the beginning of this streak that Daz is doing with protecting bomo for himself or for his, for himself for his own good
2: right, and that's what brings us into issue four. Uh, issue four picks up where the last one left off. Um, bomo is realizing that there, that uh, Risa has been taken away. Mesa is dead, and uh, like I said it's it's one of these things where he's freaking out he's you know he wants to do something quickly but the, the deaths of all these guards are going to cause uh, attention and it's blue blood by the way, which I think was a nice touch in the artwork. Um, nice So basically Das has uh, Mesgraf grab bomo and take him back to the ship to try to sort of protect everyone by protecting him from himself as you said and he takes the little hologram of Risa that bomo had been wearing uh, that you know the one that he showed to his daughter right before they left. Uh, back on New Plimto, takes that so they can have some way of proving who this is um, that he's looking for, to show who it is he's looking for. And it makes that interesting moment where, before Das heads away, Ratty just kind of comes up and taps him and just whispers in his ear, May the Force be with you. So obviously Ratty realizes what he is based on what we saw in the previous issue. And just kind of a cool little moment there that gives you, I mean, it says a lot about the Ratty character, just that quick little exchange. Um, you didn't need a lot of narration. You didn't need a lot of depth to the dialogue of the scene because you got it within the, uh, the quick conversation there. Das, of course, turns out he's the one who has to basically tell them, look, I can't rescue all of you. We don't have an army, and he's the one who has to walk away. Um, he's, he's been lecturing Bomo on Deep. making sure that he's willing to, and yet Bomo has to be taken away for his own good, and it's Das that has to, to step away. And um, we briefly jump to see Vader. Uh, not really much with Vader this time around, honestly. Just the fact that he's on his way to Mercana. Nothing special.
1: Um, yeah, that's the scene where where Vill and Apple are talking, and you get the sense that Apple reports to Vill.
2: Right. That this kind of weird. Um, sir, actually, wait. I think it's the other way around. Because. Well, you, because
1: because Bill's the one he goes. You had an infiltrator, and then no. Apple's going. No, Isn't Appo the one with the blue?
2: All secure, Commander bill says Appo. The last of the Nimbus spiders are quelled for docking, Commander Appo. Then Appo asks Bill you had an uh-huh. infiltrator?
1: You're right. Okay, so I've had their armor backwards then. Well, the okay. armor
2: is so similar, I'm not sure that we're even I just, meant to be able to tell the difference,
1: honestly. I always thought that was Appo with the, the way the blue came down the helmet and then did the split down the chest. I always thought that was Appo's armor, but I mean... They, they do change their armor enough that it's easy to get it mistaken. But but real quick on that last page with the Nassarans, one of the things that I thought was really deep was when one of the ladies inside the cage is like, at least unlock the cage! Let us take up the guards' weapons and fight for ourselves! Madame, I cannot. There is nowhere for you to go on this world. If you fight, you will be killed. Stay where you are, live, survive. In survival, there is hope. Perhaps someday. I, I just... I, that was so, so deep, I mean... It's just, it's almost, word, words can't describe that moment for him, you know, as a Jedi. Well,
2: that's kind of what he's thinking, too. I mean, in a lot of ways, the whole idea of, you know, he survives, the Jedi can survive, but it may take a while to actually come back from what has just recently taken place. Um, at that point, of course, Bomo is trying to leave the ship. We get our first hint that Chris Tanzier has also, or Tanzer, how we're supposed to say it, uh, has also lost a child, possibly, which would be something that gets hit on uh, later in the series, albeit not all that much. Um, das breaks into the home, or the estate, whatever you want to call it, of the slaver, shows him the image of Risa to find out where Risa has been taken, finds out that she was taken to this guy named Dizono Kwa on Essels, and that you know this is something that he does every ten rotations or so, not really giving any more detail behind it. And Das is essentially faced with a choice here of... You know, does he let the slaver go now that he has the information or allow the slaver to possibly report what's going on? And mm-hmm. he has the slaver completely at his mercy here. The slaver certainly thinks that if he gives the information, that's the way to save his life. But you've the, got the thought process going through Das's head, and Das looks much older uh, in this issue than he did in the previous ones a lot of ways in the way they draw his face. So the, this is the first part of the plan Janier hadn't figured out. What's to keep Mito, that's the slaver, from alerting his client after he leaves? Just one thing, but do, meaning killing him. But to do it will mean departing from the Jedi path possibly forever. The life of Bono's daughter for the life of a slaver. And he shoots him. Um, Point and then blank le-
1: between the eyes, Steven. <laughs> I love that.
2: Yeah, he shoots him. Uh, the guards come in. He very peacefully. He jumps essentially out the window uh, with a rope. To try to control his fall a little bit. Eventually let's go of the rope after swinging so that he can fall and crash through the skylight of this some kind of weird bathhouse. No, it's of a
1: thing. brothel, dude. I was gonna mention that to you, okay? When it comes to that, that is a disturbing scene. Look real closely at what that Duros male is doing to that naked twilight chick. That is a brothel.
2: Okay, yeah, yeah, I'll take it. I mean, I was, I was just like, like is this really happening? Unless in a he's just maybe he's just short. Um. And, no, uh, but yeah, he, he crashes through and he's thinking at this point about, you know, what has he done? What was he thinking? He's starting to question his own actions. And But again, it's this idea of sort of he's doing what is necessary, but what does that mean in a time when the Jedi Order is mostly gone? What is that going to mean for him? So he gets back to the ship, tells him that he's figured out, you know, where they need to go and everything. Um. The others don't really approach him too much because it seems like he wants to be alone. But he asks the question again. Uh, then The narration kind of driving what's in his mind. What lies ahead? It's been just a few weeks since he told Kai Hudora that he would not give up being a Jedi. For what it's worth, by the way, it looks like this story takes place within a month after Revenge of the Sith. Um, because the Dark Lord Rise of Darth Vader that picks up with basically concurrent to issue five here, um, at least, is something that goes from about four weeks to a full two months Uh, afterwards or so. Uh, But he says uh, that it had only been a few weeks since he told the other Jedi he wouldn't give up being a Jedi, and already he has made so many compromises. Jenner tells himself that it has all been for Risa and Bomo, but how much of himself can he give before he ceases to be who he was? Again, something that applies to him, but which also, to a very large degree, applies to Anakin slash Vader, the other counterpoint. As much as these feel like they're completely separate stories in a lot of ways, what's happening with Das and Bomo and the crew and Vader, the questioning, the pathway, the what do we make of the future now that the past in a lot of ways has been burned to the ground and the present is uncertain is something that juxtaposes those two characters against each other throughout this arc. Something that Dark Times started doing great and then completely dropped the ball on.
1: Absolutely. Well, after he kills the slaver right through the eyes, you know they, they do the you stop and start shooting. I love what happens there in the narrative. It goes, having made his decision, Jenner finds himself strangely calm. And, and I mean, even the way he's standing, he's like perfectly rimrod straight. He's kind of walking, or blasting all around him, but he doesn't seem to be flinching. He stands. He kind of turns. He grabs his rope. He flips it out. And so as if a ch- as if making a choice, even a wrong one has relieved him of a great burden his connection to the force comes as easily as ever and he puts his faith in it as he takes his first step on his new path and that's when he jumps out the window and he just kind of flings himself out into the to the brothel as i call it because like i say i mean that guy is in there he's got uh three other or two other duros chicks in there with him but that twilight chick is she looks totally nude man that just looks so just uh not good but by the time jenner gets back to the ship man oh he looks so haggard (laughs) he's like dude you
2: have gone through a lot and that of course sets up one of the darkest star wars comic issues possibly ever and that's part five of dark times the path to nowhere here issue five or whatever they're going to call it because uh, i guess it'd be what republic number 88
1: from october
2: of 07
1: this um, is the one that has that moment where I was saying about Vader and, and the moving around where he, he goes uh, where he goes. Uh, Indeed, it is such situations that he feels almost alive in such moments that he can forget the armored prison in which he exists, forget the many sacrifices he has made to reach his current position as one of the most powerful entities in the galaxy. It is a fact Vader wishes his master was not so keenly aware.
2: And this is where we get a lot more of sort of the manipulation of Vader and the mindset that Palpatine is taking to justify various actions and such. Um, he's setting up Vader going into uh, the situation on Mercana, And bear in mind, this also refers to in the script uh, as it's got the story credit to Wells Hartley, again, Randy Stradley, and the script credit to Mick Harrison, Randy Stradley, but also says with additional dialogue from the novel Dark Lord by James Luceno. So it does acknowledge that it's pulling at least some of the dialogue, for Vader's part at least, from Dark Lord. So it is consistent, which again, I'm glad they did. They weren't going for similar scenes with different dialogue. They made sure it actually fit. But Palpatine there says, uh, In due time, power will fill the vacuum created by the decisions you made, the acts you carried out, married to the Order of the Sith you will need no other companion than the dark side of the force. And of course, as soon as he says married to the Sith Order and a companion, he's thinking, of course, of Padme at that point. Um, And he sets up what's going on in Dark Lord. Word has reached me that a group of clone troopers on Mercana may have deliberately refused to comply with Order 66. Uh, And when Vader asks... I had
0: not heard,
1: he says.
2: I had not heard. when Vader asks, you know, what is the cause of the troopers doing this? Palpatine gives an interesting response. He says it's contagion. Contagion brought about by fighting alongside the Jedi for so many years. Clone or otherwise, there is only so much a being can be programmed to do. Sooner or later, even a lowly trooper will become the sum of his experiences. But you will demonstrate to them the peril of independent thinking, Lord Vader. The refusal to obey orders. Which, of course, he also immediately realizes it applies to himself as well. That he must follow the orders of the Emperor. And this whole scene is pulled off, again, with incredible, incredible artwork. One of the best, you know, Vader bowing to get a holographic message from the big floating Emperor's head type of scenes that we get is the most reminiscent of The Empire Strikes Back, uh, both in the pre we're going to toss in Ian McDiarmid, uh, and post we're going to toss in Ian McDermott versions of that scene. Um, again, we don't get a lot out of Vader in this issue here. Um, we get that and that's pretty much it. And unfortunately that's where a lot of Vader's development within this series kind of stalls. Yeah. Uh, and most of it goes on to focus just on the crew and their mission. They find themselves on it. Essel's apparently they're pretty well off because they're all eating this huge kind of banquet type, um, of lunch while Das is going off trying to find the information that he needs as far as where to find, uh, this uh Dizono guy, and they carry out a full-fledged assault on his estate. Uh Das is the one who eventually gets to him, sure, at least to begin with. But they're flat out, you are tearing through his droids. Uh, finally finds the guy, holds him at gunpoint, and this is the point at which everybody's like, uh-oh, she's already dead, uh-oh, what's going on? And they've given us hints. Just enough for you to, to, to kind of realize it right before he says it. Because we pick up with meeting Dazono as he's finishing this exquisite dinner. And he makes a lot of these compliments about the dinner. And he kind of got this feeling of, why are they emphasizing that? As opposed to just like seeing him looking out the window or something. Why that about the character's recent actions? Only for us to find uh, when he's finally caught by the crew... Uh, Bomo and Das, but then the others with them say, "You know, well, why did you? Why would you buy a child just to kill her?" And his response is, "Because I could, and to eat her, of course. She was delicious." To which everybody's like, "What the?"
1: Nobody says anything, but you see Bomo go, ah! his mouth all
2: open, You're like, "Oh no!" Yeah, everybody is freaking out. I'm surprised that this isn't a moment where Bomo fi- like uses fire from his. You know, like the whoosh of fire. Because he does that in the first issue or the second issue when they're underneath the tree. He has like the little fire. Yeah, but fire that, that's,
1: that's a, It's a uh, a phosphorescence. It's a bioluminescence. It's not ah. like fire, per se, but more like a like what the Vong had inside their their walls, in a sense.
2: Gotcha. Because that, that should have been what he does to this guy. But then you get the, <laughs> the, the, the thing that's going to create tension between him and Das in the future, which is that uh, everybody's freaking out And Das is the one who pulls the blaster and fires three shots into this guy's chest and kills him. And immediately, Bomo is angry. You know, what gave you the right to do this? And Das tries to explain to him, essentially, that killing him wouldn't bring his daughter back. It wouldn't change her fate. It wouldn't ease his grief. And he killed him to protect Bomo from himself because it would have taken a little something from his soul. Something that Das feels like he knows about at this point, doing things that are in contrary to who he is as a person in order to get things done. But Bomo absolutely refuses to follow this, the fact that he thinks that Vengeance was the only thing he had left, and now it's been ripped from him by Das and such, um, at which point he essentially curses him, well, you know, curses him in Star Wars, just blast you, and reveals, blast you, Jedi, which causes everybody else to realize who he is. Um, and we get a very cool end that takes Vader, at least briefly, and interweaves the last time we see him Um, albeit without a lot of action or anything like that. So I guess he does show up at least once more in the issue, interwoven with Das. And there's a couple of very poignant things here. Um, In the narration, as Vader is speaking, it says, The Jedi used to say that the future was always in motion and difficult to read, that only those who turned to the dark side could sense the possibilities of the future. The possibilities... Or the inevitabilities. That's a huge <laughs> uh, sticking point of that philosophy and this idea that Vader is seeing things not as hopeful, but as it's, it's like everything is just marching along in a way that he is not wanting to, uh, to believe uh, is the way things were going to turn out.
1: What if we get a retcon later where they pull a Jason Solo with Anakin, where Anakin had a vision that he had to go to the dark side to, you know, create the freedom that he needed. And so all this time he's like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And then he he eventually later forgets about that light and Luke's the one that reminds him, the light at the end of the tunnel is you.
2: Very possible. And in a lot of ways he sort of recognizes... He feels like he's lost everything. Everything is gone at this point, but by the time we get to Return of the Jedi, he's got the realization that he has two children out there. That what he wanted to do was to create a better world for his children and his wife, and that his plan, at least initially as of Revenge of the Sith, was he was going to overthrow the Emperor. And yet here he has the possibility, essentially, of doing it and being possibly with family, or at least sacrificing himself for them, as opposed to, as he did with Padme, essentially sacrificing family, for the emperor, for the, the grander dreams of of a uh, galactic conquest, galactic rule, and so forth. Then, Star das- Wars has
1: always been about sacrifice. I mean, think about Episode Four. You know, you watch the Rebel ship kind of sacrifice themselves for Leia and the droids. Then you see, you know, uh, Uncle Owen and, and Aunt Beru sacrifice so Luke could get away. I mean, there's always been these sacrifices right from the very beginning.
2: Yeah, and and in Episode One, Jar Jar comes in and sacrifices quality for sorry. Um, <laughs> As it ends, it's interesting because it's the same line of thought that Vader was having in a sense. But it moves and you recognize that it's more a matter of Das thinking it than it is Vader at this point. It continues saying, perhaps those blind to what the future holds are better off. There are certainly miseries enough for them in the present. Let the future be unknown, a mystery. But Das cannot run from his past. His best hope is to learn from it and try not to repeat his mistakes. All he has to hold on to is what his training tells him to be true. But then he thinks about the many un like things he has done, the evils he has committed in the name of right, and the placing of his certainty over the needs and lives of those he would call friends. So what if the future is a path that leads to nowhere? All he can do is walk that path one step at a time. And in that moment, we have set up what should have been one of the best Star Wars comic series of its era. And instead, yep. it craps out. All the promise in this arc and in those last few bits of dialogue completely fizzle out. And I don't know if it's because we immediately jump to Tukur Crook and it's like the whole Dash Janier thing just kind of stays in the background for a while, um, at least in large degree, or what? I don't know if it should have gone maybe straight to story arc three instead of the, the stuff with parallels for a little bit. It just seems as though something gets lost. As we move into the second arc, and the further along we go, it never gets recaptured. And I'm hoping that A Spark Remains is not just about the Jedi's spark remaining. You know, the fire has gone out of the galaxy. Uh, well, A Spark Remains. But maybe A Spark Remains in the promise that was this series, and we'll get an awesome <laughs> ending, hopefully if this is the last arc, the awesome ending that this series deserved from its first arc rather than what we can expect of it based on its other arcs.
1: Well, yeah, I mean that the the angle, it, it unless they tie the two together in some way which after the last one of that issue, I don't see it happening. It almost feels like that one needed to be set in its own time or followed this one when it wrapped up, even going back and overlapping in the time frame. But yeah, that bouncing back and forth, I think that is a big major thing that really hurt it. Uh going back though to what you were talking about the uh uh with when Palpatine and Sidious were Palpatine and Vader were talking, uh and they talk about the uh, contagion I like the fact that that the way the programming is brought up here matches everything that we get in the EU. I mean, there was the rumored about the episode or the season six, the Clone Wars going to have uh, Diaz and talk about the the programming of the clones. And so, you know, I was like, well, where was that gonna go? But this, I like the fact that you know they can be more than what they're programmed to be. That they can be the sum of their experiences. That was all, a, a great moment there. Uh, but another one was uh, when they storm the place, you know, because earlier when Daz made the decision to kill the first slaver, he had the connection of the force come rushing back. So when he goes into the place, he sees this big building thing and he goes, he, he goes, it fears that he fears that all he has retained of his Jedi ways is his connection to the force. And he jumps up and that only for the sake of expedience, expedience. Oh my God. How do you say that word? Expediency?
2: Expediency. Yeah.
1: Okay. And that only for the sake of expediency. Jenner knows the dangers of power without restraint, but at that moment, he doesn't care. And he only thinks of Risa Greenbark. Now, this moment, there's a scene where he lands on, the, he just jumped up way over this huge balcony and lands on one knee and extends a hand and pulls a mace Windu on Dantooine in the Gendi series and rips an IGA8 droid or an IG something droid just completely apart with just the force. You just watch it just... And I love that aspect. And meanwhile, you've got Bomo down with Ratty and they're doing pull the Anakin from episode one, killing the droid base that runs all the droids. Uh, so by the time it all ends, you know, you got Das, Going onto the ship that the, the big jerk was going to have with his H2 unit that you later see in Blue Harvest. But yeah, what could have been a great setup became something where you were like, wait, where do we go from here? And and as much as I like Kukruk and as much as I like the Kukruk story, I truly think by adding these two without having them tie directly to each other, I think that was a mistake.
2: Yeah, and I think this probably will come as a shock to a lot of the people that have listened to this show for a while because I, I, I tear Dark Times apart and I, and I use it as the whipping boy of what's wrong with Star Wars comics sometimes. The stories where there's not a lot of people to care about, that it seems like the story isn't really going anywhere, and where it just kind of, it keeps going after it should be gone when other series that had promise or had a lot of, of open questions like Invasion, invasion. <laughs> uh, wind up disappearing. But it's, it, I think part of it, I think part of my disdain towards most of Dark Times, it's not just the fact that it was a meh series. I mean, there are plenty of Star Wars comics that turned out to be meh series at different times. They haven't all knocked it out of the ballpark. They haven't all been home runs. But this series starts with a grand slam. This is an incredible, it's, it's, it's a great story by itself. It's an incredible look into the psychology, at least briefly, of Vader and the way that this universe is changing in the wake of Revenge of the Sith. I mean, it is a great story told masterfully both within the artwork uh, and in the writing. But then it all just goes awry, and I think it's kind of one of those things where it's all about the setup and it's all about the hopes. Because this isn't even an episode one type of thing. This isn't even we've built our hopes up that it's going to be great. And it winds up being something less than we thought. Though, again, I have a lot more fun now. I don't know why. I, have a, I get a lot more out of Episode 1 now watching it on Blu-ray than I ever did on DVD or on VHS before that for the couple of years. Um, or in even the theater. I get a lot more out of the experience watching on Blu-ray. Um, but with Episode 1, it was kind of one of those things where there was a lot of hype and then it kind of let us down uh, for many fans. But with this, it wasn't even hype. It was extremely solid quality in the first arc. And then it's just like, might give up, might give up. And it becomes something really rather dull as it goes along. I don't know if I would feel quite as negatively towards the way Dark Times has gone if it hadn't started out strong. If it had just been blah all the way through, I'd probably just be like, meh. But it wasn't. This was awesome. This is one of my favorite arcs of that time frame within Star Wars Publishing, 06, 07. This is terrific. But it doesn't stay that way. And I don't see why it doesn't stay that way, because it's the same writer. It's the same artist. It's the same characters. It's kind of one of these things where I almost wish that this had been a miniseries, and that was it. And it would have stood as one of the highest points of that era of Star Wars Publishing. Instead, it goes on, we get kind of a, the downside of it the watering down of its quality level as later ones don't stand up to the first one
1: yeah i mean at the beginning of this we had palpatine kind of you know chastising vader for everything that happened in the purge and then that moment where you know he's he's telling him about the lord vader with the hologram you know there's that moment where vader's world is narrow and dark and tightly structured but there is still one desire that strokes that stokes his smoldering rage and then he says It's possible, then, that some Jedi may have survived. And that leads us, of course, into Lord... Uh, the Dark Lord and the later purges and stuff as we watch his complete obsession, which kind of, I guess, makes sense why he's so all of a sudden compulsive, because even though he's done the first purge, he's still got two more purge issues to go and he still quite hasn't learned that lesson. I mean, he is focusing on that, which goes back to that aspect of this Vader is I, I consider this Vader half a Vader. He's had his parts chomped off. His metachlorines are kind of all out of whack. He's lost a lot of skin cells here. You know, he's not quite enmeshed in the dark side. The only thing that allows him that connection right now is his hatred for the Jedi. And so he is nurturing that. And by the time we get to the last of the Purge comics, you see the Vader that, you know, a stronger Vader because now he is more tempered in his hate and now knows how to use his body I mean you also see that at the end of Lord uh, Dark Lord by the time he gets to the end of that one he's finally made his way to where he's not so awkward he's not so Frankenstein like but that book really nailed down how much he was Frankenstein's monster and I think that that's part of what this does is it it gives you that feeling still because it gives you that insight into Vader And, and absolutely that is what is missing from the rest of the Dark Times series when it comes to his character they don't really get into his head like they did in this first one i mean i, I you know you, you always talk about how much you hate it and i was really surprised how much i was really liking this one going back i mean the only thing that my biggest complaint is those names i mean and i have that issue with all star wars books you know don't give me a, a crazy name just because it's an alien world and you want to have some crazy flair what you'll get is you'll get a sector of space like baroku or baraka or whatever it's called with the cyruk yeah, I cannot stand that book and I cannot stand that aerospace because I can't pronounce half of anything over there. I'm like, okay, obviously this is not for my type of humans. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. You give me nice complex names that that are, are subtle, like like Card where it's it's a K-A-A-R-D-E. Uh, granted, I still screwed that up for the first year. I thought his name was Cardi. And then of course, you know, my dad's like, no, wild card, you didn't catch that. I'm like, no, oh, no, that just slid right over my head. But again, a fan favorite character, uh, Coran Horn, Coran Horn, however you want to say it. You know, I can still mispronounce it, but at least it's a character that when you say it, people are going to get it. The ship's name, the Umo, the Uhumel, the, I mean, people can't get that right. <laughs> It's kind of like, the... I mean, kinda like was, uh, Boss it, Nass. It
2: was, yes, it was named by Boss Nass. There you go.
1: Uh, the quickest way to get out of dark times is through the planet core. Oh, 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 Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again and girls for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review there on iTunes while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in your search bar. No matter how you get there, they'll be sure to like our page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any other Star Wars and or EU questions or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can even email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Star Wars Report, you get a free trial run of Audible.com to see what they're all about. What's great about this, though, is if you decide to go with it, you help us as a show, as a community. The Star Wars Report Podcast Network gets a little kickback on that. It's not much, but hey... You help us, we help you, we all have fun. With more than 100,000 titles, you can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat-out hate. Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you are thinking of making the switch from the page to the screen or adding a digital library to your physical one, audible.com just might be right for you. So, once again, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening and
2: may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we gave anybody whiplash by me actually liking, loving this arc of dark times.
1: (laughs) Or that somebody out there can pronounce every word in this arc.
2: You think Stradley can pronounce every word?
1: (laughs) Stradley can't even get his name right. (laughs) Touche,
2: touche, that was an easy one. Research or polling place has been calling day after day after day.
1: I'd like to take your survey, thank you. Up your survey, up your. <laughs> Would you like to take a survey?
2: Yeah, the survey old uh, tiny right? tunes, right? Okay. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. So, yeah, it was named after Boss Ness. There you go. All
1: right,
2: and then, of course, fate. Uh...
1: Saying, may the force be with you.
2: I guess, sneeze. First, I That's fine. Did. That's I fine. I, did. I, I, did. Maybe I, maybe I
1: screwed that line up anyway, so sneeze away because yeah. I, I didn't say thanks for listening.
2: Go ahead.